I'm talking with Ken Golden, professor of mathematics and adjunct professor of bioengineering at the University of Utah, and he's telling us about his research in sea ice. So now, is there any uh, one property of sea ice or, or a couple of properties maybe or any big challenge that you'd like to overcome at this point? Yeah, I would say that certainly what, what's been going on in the Arctic opens up a whole new major set of questions for the world. Historically, the Arctic ice pack has been a perennial pack in the sense that most of it stays in the summertime. And there's significant presence of multi-year ice that, that survives the, the, summer, the summer melt season. However, in the last, since, about, since about 1980, in the last 25, 30 years or so, that perennial ice pack has lost significant portions of it. In particular, look at the, look at the charts in comparison of how much ice we've lost uh, in comparison with, say, the, the, the land area of the United States, the amount of permanent ice pack or perennial ice pack lost since about 1980 corresponds to, or at least what was lost up until two years ago, corresponds to that portion of the United States east, east of the Mississippi River. And then, amazingly, within the last two years, since 2005, and uh, we've lost yet again another huge swath of the Midwest, basically. And so there's now been a, just a tremendous loss of the perennial ice pack in the Arctic. And as I mentioned before, that means much more absorption of solar radiation, particularly in the summertime when it's not being ice-covered, as opposed to the way it was you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And, um, and so the, the really fundamental question is, is how big a transformation – you know, has the ice really gone through? Have we reached a tipping point? Is it recoverable? Where is this all going to play out in, in 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years? Is the Arctic ice pack going to turn over to a state where it's completely seasonal and there's no more multi-year ice in the summertime? This, is good. this has a lot of implications for, for global climate. Uh, geopolitical implications in terms of uh, resource usage in the in the Arctic regions, competition uh, for various you know competing countries to get at these resources, uh, the people that live up there, their lives have already been affected significantly by by climate change issues, and so anyway, so that's one of the the central issues I think is how all this plays out, these endless changes that we're seeing particularly in the Arctic. One of the, the big issues for for addressing this is these global climate models and and sort of in incorporating sea ice in a more realistic way into these, uh, these big global climate models that are, that are designed to sort of predict climate changes over you know, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 years. And in particular, one of the issues that's, that comes up a lot in numerical analysis and, and in non, and complicated nonlinear systems is, is chaos theory and uh, sensitive dependence on initial parameters and situations like that. And one has to face this in the, in the context of sea ice. Namely, uh, when you want to run these models for 10, 15, 20, 50 years, you need to have a pretty good, a pretty accurate picture of, what's, of what you're modeling and what's actually of the various components of the system that are important to the, uh, to the overall behavior. And sea ice plays a central role. And sea ice is represented in these climate models in sometimes very non-sophisticated and very uh, cartoonish ways. And so one of the implications of our work is that some of the processes that are really important in global climate, such as this melt pond evolution, or these kinds of processes have not been incorporated in, in realistic ways into uh, global climate models. And as I was alluding to, you know, uh, small errors run over 10, 15, 50, 100 years, they can build up. And so in order to really get an accurate assessment of what's going on over a long period of time, you need a, you need a pretty accurate representation of the system itself. And so I think one of the big challenges is to, is to more accurately represent the sea ice pack into these, into these global climate models to get better and more accurate uh, predictions of what's actually going to happen and how this, this matter is going to play out.
over a long period of time. In connection with this, one of the most important sort of things that we don't know necessarily, particularly in the Antarctic, is the thickness of the ice pack. The, the frequencies that satellite sensors generally work at, which is the microwave range, these kinds of waves, these microwaves don't penetrate easily into sea ice. Uh, for the same reason that it's hard to communicate with submarines in, underwater because electromagnetic waves get attenuated or get absorbed by seawater or salty sea ice. So one of the big issues, particularly in the Antarctic, where we don't have submarines like we do, like we have had in the Arctic, going underneath the, the ice packs, we don't have a, a lot of great data on the thickness of the ice pack. And this is, you know, uh, monitoring the volume of the ice. We can get a good idea of the extent of the ice packs. The, the polar ice packs, because satellites can see the, the aerial extent of the ice. Uh, however, it, it's difficult to get your hands on the thickness of the ice. And so that's one of the big challenges also is to, is to get a handle on the thickness of the ice and the volume of the ice as we, as we go forward as a major component of this issue of trying to figure out what's going on in the Arctic and in the Antarctic. Now, now, you've been to both places, and now you mentioned that there have been drastic changes recently. Have you yourself seen these, these changes? Yeah, that's, good. that's a good question, Mike. Let me separate the two cases. In particular, in the Antarctic, I've seen, you know, short snapshots, and frankly, I've not really seen a lot of changes per se. In fact, there's not really, uh, I, I don't think there's been too much, certainly from satellite observations, you know, in terms of the extent of the Antarctic sea ice pack and these kinds of issues. I don't think that there's, that we've seen the kind of changes that have been are completely obvious in the, the Arctic, say. So, uh, you know, just seeing little snapshots here and there, it's, it's a little difficult to, to say that. Now, however, in the, in the Arctic, which I have visited almost yearly since about 2000, I mean, there have been a couple of years I haven't gone, but I have been up to the Arctic, you know, quite, quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I have, I have seen changes. Just more anecdotal than, you know, than sort of systematic observations that really show the effects of climate change. However, one of the things that I've noticed is uh, we used to seal off Barrow, which is where we go, which is right on the Chukchi Sea, the, in the Arctic Ocean. We used to see these really massive ridges, uh, sort of just off, you know, just offshore. Massive ridges meaning meaning stacked up ice, like really, really high up, you know, and you knew that it was going down underneath, you know, in the water very deeply as well. And these were big multi-year flows that just get all stacked up and called pressure ridges. And uh, basically, you just you don't see that too much. And in the last couple of years, I haven't really noticed that nearly as much. And that does correlate with the known um, information about that there's just much less year multi-year ice in the Arctic, as I've mentioned before. And also, there's a lot less multi-year ice close up to the shore in Barrow. Basically, you can see that on the satellite satellite images. Another, just you know, just one little story in particular was, let's see, a number of years ago, we would go out to a place called Elson Lagoon. Like this was out in June, go out to Elson Lagoon, which is sort of a, a protected little area just off the Arctic Ocean, right in, in the Barrow area. And um, several years ago, we'd go out there in the late spring and, you know, go out and do a lot of experiments and stuff. And a couple of years ago, we, we you know, drove out there and basically expecting to find a lot of ice. And there, there just was no ice there. It was just all open water. All the ice had disappeared. And, you know, again, who knows? Okay, is that global warming? You know, we, who knows? But it was just an anecdotal piece of evidence that, well, it, you know, we had gone out there years before to – to get ice, but uh, in this particular year, that just it just wasn't there. And I should also mention that having gone up to Barrow, uh, Alaska, a lot, you know, and just interacting some with the local people in the communities up there, um, you know, certainly their their lives, as I mentioned before, their lives have been have been changed. And uh, for example, if they said the ice doesn't come in as far, they have to go out further to to hunt whales. There's there's a lot of uh, effects that they've that they felt adjustments that they've made in their lives. I think to to compensate for uh, for for climate change. 
Uh, thanks, Ken. It's Ken Golden of the University of Utah. In the next two parts, Ken will talk about some of his adventures in the Arctic and Antarctic and how undergraduates are involved in sea ice research.